Soft Engineering Radio, episode 133, continuous integration with Chris Reed. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for support. Welcome, listeners, to a new episode of Software Engineering Radio, recorded at uh, JAU 2008. Um, so this time we're going to talk about a topic that has been requested a couple of times. Um, sometimes people accuse us of uh, discussing all kinds of advanced fancy stuff, but not looking at the basic hands-on stuff people need to know to actually run projects. And uh, one of those topics that we didn't cover yet that falls in that category is continuous integration. And uh, today we're going to talk about that with uh, Chris Reed from uh, ThoughtWorks. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm tired, as we just discussed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it doesn't matter. I just have to ask questions. <laughs> so Excellent. So I'm doing all the hard work here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, please introduce yourself to, to our listeners. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Chris Reed. I work for ThoughtWorks. I've been at ThoughtWorks now for almost four years. Um, I'm there's an infrastructure specialist. So, what I do is, um, my background is uh, mostly system administration. I've been a developer. I was a developer for a couple of years. Um, but then found that hardware and infrastructure and networks and all that kind of stuff was, was what really interested me more. Mm -hmm. um, so, but now I work for ThoughtWorks. I work um, kind of helping developers interact with the, with the sysadmin teams, mm -hmm. uh, the clients. And, and part of that is actually hinges all around continuous integration, getting continuous integration up and working in the clients. And all the automation that, that goes around continuous integration is, is kind of the, the things that I get involved with. Right. Okay, so so um, most people probably have heard about continuous integration. So why don't you give us a little bit of an, let's say, overview of why this is important and what it is. So um, continuous integration is, is all about ensuring that you've got better quality code. Um, it's, it's processes that, that, that have come about to help you improve the quality and the confidence that you have in the code that comes out at the end of the line. Um, so the whole idea is that you know, in 10, 15 years ago, when people were developing code, um, particularly, you know, big enterprise bits of code, what they yep. would find is they would find that, um, you know, as, as they're going through, you'd have Bob developing on one side and he'd have his own branch and he'd be running and coding and you'd have Fred running along doing some others. And, and once they'd, they'd completed their code, trying to get their code to work together in one program was, was a big problem. Um, and also, you know, once the code was, was finished, in, in inverted commas, uh, there would often be lots of bugs, lots of problems, and lots of issues trying to get it into production. So um, continuous integrations is a set of practices that you can put into place um, to help you catch the bugs early, um, to help you get rid of this merge hell, um, and, and, you know, just, just also help teams be more efficient, to help them f concentrating on getting code, getting functionality out there. Because it doesn't matter how beautiful your code is, it doesn't matter how wonderful the language is that you're developing in, uh, particularly in the enterprise space, if it's not running in production somewhere and making someone money, it's absolutely useless. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, the best could you could say it's a kind of intermediate step towards that goal of running somewhere and 
But the agilists, of course, will say, no, everything needs to run every time, all the time. Anyway. Anyway. So um, so we covered the why. How do you do this? Um, what's the, the let's say, 10,000 foot overview over um, continuous integration? So so the key things that, that, that ki key themes that kind of crop up in, in all these these little practices that you can do is, is first around fast feedback. Mm -hmm. um, you know, letting the developer see very quickly if what he's doing is the correct thing and if it's working and, and if it's doing what he expects it to do in the context of the rest of the system. Um, the other key thing that comes up is repeatability, being mm -hmm. able to repeatably do it over and over again, repeatably test over and over again, that, again, what you think you're writing is actually yep. what's supposed to be there. Yep. Um, and the other thing that's kind of a nice side effect, which, which you know, all us, us people who carry on about Agile, uh, go on about is is it encourages collective code ownership. If you've got Bob working on a module over here and Fred working on a module over there, um, you know they become very possessive of their code, very yeah. protective of their code, and and that's a real problem that causes lots of social problems within the development organization. Yeah. And so by doing these practices, it encourages collective ownership instead of being proud and protective of your module. You can start being proud of the whole application that you're developing. Yeah. So this is an interesting point because it probably requires that the organizational structure, the team structure, the project structure, the process takes this into account and is kind of adapted towards being able to have those properties you just talked about. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, there's a process aspect in addition to a tool and practices aspect. Yes, correct. It's not just, you can't just drop in some tools and it'll make everything better. You yeah. can't just drop in some practices and it'll make everything better. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that's got to, that impacts the whole ecosystem right. of software development. Yeah. So let's look at some of the practices. Um, yes, yeah, so um, these core practices are, are the core practices that were outlined by uh, Martin Fowler and Matt Femmel in their original paper on continuous integration. And they, they still apply today um, very much so. Core practices being having a single source code repository, automating your build, automating your testing, and publishing the latest version of the distributable, the, the latest good build so that people yep. can actually get hold of it, yep. the testers can get hold of it and, and, and play with it, and also so that you can actually get this build and put it into production. Right. So let's look at each of those practices, I guess, and mm -hmm. we'll start with a single source repository. Yeah, so single source repository is all about having a single point of truth, a single place where you've got all the source code that makes up your application. Um, ten years ago, there, there, weren't, there wasn't much in the way of source code management tools and things like that. And I was working on projects when I was a developer 10 years ago. You know, I, I was working on code on my machine and, and, and my partner was working uh, on code on his machine and whenever we wanted to share code, we'd copy onto a disk and co move it to the other machine. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's very inefficient. And very yeah. soon you start to wonder, which disk's got the latest version <laughs> of the code? You know, yeah. where's that bug fix that I had? You know, and, and it gets lost. And so, so it's, it's all about having a central place. Nowadays, the source code management tools are, are more pervasive and they're, they're all over the place. Um, people still, um, often in big companies that I go to and, and speak to, they have, they still have this my machine mentality. All the developers are working in their own branch mm -hmm. and working on their own code. And it's only, you know, every couple of weeks or every couple of months that they'll actually merge these branches together and they'll have huge problems, you know, getting all this code working together. Yeah. So one of the key things about having a single source repository is 
these days, and we'll get into later and in how language has changed, but these days it's not just having them in the same subversion repository or the same perforce yeah. repository or something like that, but actually all working on the same main line of the code, yeah. all yeah. working together. So that there's a, a single source of truth where you get yeah. the code. There's still a use for branching, but it's not per developer, it's rather per, let's say, um, I don't know, customer-specific adaptation of the overall source tree or something. Yes, correct. Branching is, you know, branching is not totally evil, it right. still has its value, right. but yeah, just not having a branch per developer where each developer is by themselves yeah. writing their own code i guess it, it shows that i'm not that old yet because i don't actually remember those days i, I never <laughs> i never came across the situation <laughs> okay um before we move on to the next one mm. um, did you have any uh, specific recommendations about which uh, repositories are especially useful in a let's say agile environment and for this kind of approach um yeah definitely um there's one thing we'll get into tools a bit later but okay. the, the key thing about any of these tools is make sure you choose a tool that fits with your process. Right. Okay. Then, then let's cover that later. If, if yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So next one is automate the build. Yeah. So, so um, you know, one of the, the key taglines that I really like is that using an IDE is not automating your build. Why is that? Um, because the whole thing about automation is you want it to be repeatable. You want to be able to get exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. Um, when you've got lots of developers working on a team, working on a project, every developer has their own settings that they put in their IDE, their own little bits and pieces, and generally every IDE on every developer machine is different. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm. And and so again, the key is about repeatability. If you've got a, dro a code drop in in production, yep. and you know two weeks after it's gone into production, you find a bug, you want to be able to go and see exactly how that source code was. But not only that. If you need to fix a bug, if you need to reproduce a bug, if you need to test that the bug has been fixed, you need to rebuild that code exactly as it was yeah. when you built it, you yeah. know, however long before. And IDE settings change and stuff like that. So it's about getting, you know, using one of the many build tools that are out there to, to create a system that will automatically build it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess one thing that, that, that's kind of interesting is that uh, the configuration or, let's say, programming of the build script is something that is, you know, by many developers it's seen as like the secondary kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a build script. But I guess it's a good idea to, to at least m conceptually look at the build script or the build infrastructure as yet another development, uh, well, as a, as a first-class citizen in the development environment. Yes. And, you know, give it the necessary respect and treatment. Definitely. That's probably my, my biggest battle that I have. And I it's, it's, suspect. It's, it's, it's something that I was, I've, I've been chatting here at Joe with Andy Glover about as well, because it's, it's something that, that really needs to be sorted out in a lot of development teams. Yep. It's just, you know, it's, it's the ugly stepchild of right. software development. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's part of your code. It's part of what yep. makes your code valuable. Yeah. And I guess the, the build automation, obviously, it, it doesn't just do the actual compilation. There's also about deployment units, packaging, testing, and that stuff. Yes, yes, I guess we'll yes look at exactly. That later. Yeah, yep. we'll get into that later. Yep. But yeah, it's all about making it all repeatable. Yeah. And, and also part of that is is by having it on a build script and, 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 and automating the build, it, um, it kind of helps to be able to reproduce the build. Right. And so it's no longer the case of, yeah, it works on my machine. Why doesn't it work in, in the <laughs> test environments? Why doesn't it yeah. work in, in everywhere? By having it built on a separate environment as yeah. part of a continuous integration process, yeah. you're ensuring that, you know, this, oh, but it works on my machine doesn't crop up and is not a valid excuse yeah, anymore yeah yeah and th there is the th the single truth right so yes that's correct yeah automating testing is the next uh, important ingredient i guess yep that's right and um again it's it's not just about automating your unit tests right it's about automating all the testing around your software yeah so again you know 
eight years ago when when the paper first came out, you know, JUnit was was new on the scene and everyone was getting their heads around this unit testing concept. And that's now a problem that's been pretty well solved yeah. and there's lots of alternate tools and stuff like that. And so it's now expanding the horizon of where you get into the testing. Yeah. It's it's moving into to integration tests, functional tests, performance tests as yeah. part of your continuous integration yeah, process. UI testing. UI testing, acceptance yeah. testing, you know, yeah. high level running right through your application. Yeah. Um, and then also as part of automating the testing, making sure that you're actually asserting something in your tests, and then if something is wrong, you fail the build, yeah. and you stop, and you let people have a look yeah. and, 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 and get into it. Often, I'll, I'll go to clients, and they'll say, we're doing continuous integration, but we're not getting any value. And you have a look at what they're doing, and what they're doing is, is they may be running a nightly build, and you know, four days out of five, it's broken, yeah. and no one cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is one of the key things when you automate your testing. You know, make sure that your testing is valid and make sure that when the build breaks, when yeah. your tests fail, you fix yeah. them. That's the highest priority. You don't exactly. do anything else until this exactly. happens. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the key things. When the build's broken, when it's read, yep. you know, get yep. into fixing it. Yep. The next one is uh, about publishing the latest distributable, which is, of course, um, closely related to the whole agile idea and, uh, you know, making sure that every incremental release is actually useful to some extent to some of the stakeholders at least so i guess that's what you're getting at here yeah exactly it's 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 one of the key things about when when i talk about continuous integration and when i you know implement it at different clients is that you only have one stage where you actually compile and assemble your distributable package and that's mm -hmm. right at the beginning your later automated tests further down the pipeline um they don't recompile their own version of right. the binaries. You yeah. have one place where it's compiled, and then everyone takes that distributable yeah. and they'll deploy it into a UAT environment. They'll deploy that binary into performance test environment. U UAT environment? User acceptance testing. Ah, okay. It's mm -hmm. a common term in the UK. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, into your performance test environments, into your staging area, and also into production. That's yeah. the binary that goes there. Yeah. Because this also makes sure that the actual distributable package that you're testing, that you're actually running all these tests on, is actually what's in production. Yeah. And, and contains all the resources it actually needs. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that's that's um, well. If the first thing was the ten thousand foot overview, I guess now we're at like three thousand feet. Yeah. And we can now look at the progress over time of some of the practices, tools, languages that are used here to make this a little bit more concrete and hands-on for people um, instead of just just talking about. Um, you know, concepts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so th this is practice evolution. Things, things that 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 have come up that people need to do pretty much all the time that kind of help continuous integration um, be more valuable. The first one is is really to commit more often. Yeah. Um, you know, checking in once a week. Um, you know, is is a bad thing. You need to to check in um, at least once a day. Yeah. Um, these days, I, I try and get teams to aim for you know at least once an hour, check in regularly, um, because you know what happens is if the build fails and the build does fail, and that's not a bad thing. It's giving you information. Yep. It's more feedback for you to use. Um, the key thing is that if the build does fail, um, you know, then if you've you know, your last check-in was an hour ago. At worst, you've lost an hour's work if you need to back it out or if you need to rethink about it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're only checking in, in it once a week, you're going to lose a week's work potentially. Yeah. And, and, and it's again, it's about feedback. It's about context. It's about mental state. If you've just made a change now and something breaks, um, chances are it'll be very obvious to you why what? it broke. Yeah, um, exactly. 
you know, and stuff like that. But of, of course, conversely, now this is where we start to get to to the needs of the rest of the in, in, of the ecosystem, is that to do this efficiently, developers need to be given smaller units of work. Right. But that goes together well with, you know, the Agile XP Scrum storying, storyboarding yep. kind of thing where you, you write small, simple user stories and you break them down into into steps that themselves, well, they might not have to make sense, but they're at least testable. Yes, exactly. Small testable units, you know, the whole test-driven development thing. You right. know, write your test, write your yep. code as soon yep. as it's all good, yep. check it in and, yep. and, and go again. Right. And one of the key things also about committing more often is it is it forces you to update. If you want a clean commit, you need to be updating regularly. Sure. But and I mean, also, this presupposes this uh, kind of work with subversion CVS where you do a optimistic log merge kind of thing. I mean, yes. in, in other environments, it might be different because you have locked all the stuff, you know, so. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah. So uh, generally I find that, that the, 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 the pessimistic locking works, you know, it, 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 it has issues where... Yeah, I, I agree, just yeah. to, to set the context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah. Um, okay, so um, next one is to, 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 to make sure that every commit triggers a build. Yes, that's correct. And again, it's all about fast feedback. It's all about, yeah. you know, getting those small changes and making less to fix and, yeah. and kind of getting that information going. And and do you really? I mean, question: um, Do you really want every commit to build, or is it you know good enough or as good to actually have a build every hour, so that effectively, more or less, every commit kind of results in a build? Or why is it important that the commit actually triggers the build as opposed to just having real-time building? Um, again, it's all about fast feedback. It's you want to know why. If you've only got a build that's scheduled every hour, then then basically, if you miss that hour window by five minutes you know you're going to have to sit and wait and twiddle your thumbs and maybe work on something else uh you know for 55 minutes while you're waiting for feedback coming back in uh, whereas you know I, i suppose it's it's a bit it's a bit strange having a look at every commit builds because um, there may be windows where a build actually runs two or three right. commits, and so it, it, it does get a bit a bit strange. But In other words, when the build is running as you commit, then you don't do anything. Yeah, yeah, correct. Wait but until it's finished and then do it again. Yeah, but then that, that runs the risk of if, the, if one of the previous commits breaks the build, yeah. you've now got more changes to figure out. It's not just one change yeah. set that's broken it. So ideally, you want every commit to build, yeah. and to do that, your build needs to be fast. You need to be able to get yeah. that quick yeah. feedback. If you're working on a 10-minute cycle, yeah. um, which some of the most productive teams I've seen that checking in every 10 minutes. You know, your build needs to give you your feedback within that 10 minute yeah. cycle. Do you do you require or or recommend that developers run their own build locally and then only if that works um, they check in and run the 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 real build or is yes. that kind of overhead? Yeah, no, I I definitely believe that. Um, I'm 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 a big fan of 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 developer discipline to to get continuous integration working properly. Um, you know, a, one of the key things about it is developer discipline. The developers need to keep themselves disciplined to not check in on a broken build, to check in as you know frequently, to update frequently, to do this. And so there there, there is probably a bit more more discipline required on the developers but part of that for me is developers running a local build it doesn't have to be the full build because that could take you know they may have different spec machines yeah things like this yeah. but you know just run a set of tests locally on the development machine before you know once you've updated and kind of done a local merge before you push that back make sure that everything's working together yeah. uh, and then push it in yeah. because you know you'll find issues pr probably and um, that by fixing it locally you don't impact other teams who've who've done that stuff and have already got it working locally. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing then is to test in, a, in an environment that is realistic with regards to the environment that final product is going to run in, right? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, <laughs> e even up until recently, before you know, multi-core processes became common, um, developers are generally working on single CPU desktops, yeah. and that's where they're doing the coding. And, and the biggest place we saw this was was within multi-threaded code. Developers would run the tests locally on their single CPU machine, and everything would run fine. Yeah. As soon as they they check it in, and the continuous integration server built it on a multi-process a box and tested it with multiprocessors you know they would then discover issues they would discover race conditions and all sorts of issues and again it still applies today with things like cluster issues mm -hmm. if you you know deploying and testing even in your continuous integration environment if you're deploying and running your your functional tests against a single node server and your production environment's a cluster yeah. um, you know we've had issues where you know people don't discover you know, these problems that crop yeah. up in clustered environments. And yeah. again, w when you're testing in a production clone, it's not about this having the same scale, the same throughput, the same stuff, because generally, at most, you'll maybe have two or three users on the system. Yeah. It's just about the architecture, getting the, right. the moving parts yeah. right. Although it's probably worth mentioning that, of course, there are kinds of tests let's say the classical unit tests that don't necessarily require the full infrastructure to be there yes. once you do integration tests with database access with data replication whatever this this the thing we're talking about becomes more critical yes correct and th this is again where 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 continuous integration pipelines come in which is which is a whole other subject but um basically yeah it's it's all about you know moving it further on testing you know including with with having the right database architecture. I've been on projects where to keep the unit tests fast, they've been testing with an in-memory database. Yep. But, you know, the production has been one of the, the big relational databases. And then all of a sudden, you know, there'll be small semantic changes in the SQL. There'll be, you know, bugs in either implementation that, hey, yep. it works fine in memory yep. and it runs fast. Yep. But trying to get it to run on the production database has been, you know, yep. quite a lot of pain. The reason why people ran it on, you know, in-memory databases is, of course, two things. First of all, the the infrastructure might be expensive. Yes. And the other thing, if you run on a you know big system, it might take a lot of time to set the you know the test environment up, and therefore it's a problem with getting the rapid feedback. Yes. So I guess one goal is to keep the build fast, and then how do you do this? Um, th this is again where, where, where build pipelines come in. Uh, in the What's the a build pipeline? So I'll probably touch on them, them briefly here. So uh, this is originally a, a paper that. Um, Dan North, myself, and Jez Humble did um, mm -hmm. at Agile 2006, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's all about, you know, instead of in the old traditional continuous integration concept, you would have a big build server, yeah. and um, you know that build server would just you know run something like cruise control, but then you'll just have a project, and that runs a build, and that's it, and that's all you you have, you know the whole. What we found was was when we were at clients, we needed more information. We needed the fast feedback from All the right. unit tests, yep. but we would have you know functional functional tests, integration oh, tests that were taking a long time. So what we do is we we start to chain chain the builds together in several stages in or several phases. stages yes yeah. exactly so what you do is you have a pipeline going into one end of the pipeline is your source code yeah. and coming out the other end is your production code right and what you do is the pipeline's made up of stages mm -hmm. and each stage consists of uh, you know multiple um, jobs that can be run in parallel right. so you know your first stage which is you're doing your building and your packaging uh, could also be running in parallel it could be generating your java docs it could be running your code coverage or your your static find bugs analysis or something yep. like that and you know and that would all be part of the first stage um, 
you know, running your unit tests. And then that would be the, the kind of key check-in mechanism. But then later on, further down the pipeline, once those had all passed, you would then have another build that's now deploying it into a, a kind of small, fast environment um, and then running a whole suite of functional tests. Does it all work? And once you've done that and you've kind of, you're increasing your confidence as you move along, okay, yeah. that works in that environment. Now we get to the resource in intensive stage, you know, you may be, um, you know, running with, with a big DB2 database on yeah, an AS400 right. or something like that. Yeah. And, and you know, then you run the same things again, but on the proper environment. Right. And so it moves along further down the stages. Yeah. And, and you know, as you get further down, you get more and more confidence in the quality of your code. Right. But you're getting the feedback earlier for your developers to allow yeah. them to track on. Yeah. And, and the, the hardest thing about that from a developer perspective is actually having the discipline to um, treat stage just treat failures further down in later stages with as much importance <laughs> yeah. as as your your yeah. early stage that's your, my your first code, my code worked see that's the first stage it didn't crash <laughs> yeah. yeah but the the, the the key thing is to to make sure that all the stages yeah. um kind of are linked to one change set right so that you know mm -hmm. if it does fail half an hour later in in a production-like environment yeah. you've got the change set you can see what's changed it and normally what that means is that you've then got a failure that you need to catch further up. And so what you'll probably yep. do is you'll find, aha, there's a unit test that's going to write for it yeah. that'll catch that environment. Yep. Put it in and then you'll catch it earlier. Yeah, okay. So, and, and again, the reason for keeping the build fast, as you just alluded to, is to, to keep the feedback timely so you can re relate to the source of the problem that created the failing test. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that I actually wrote down here as a note that I wanted to talk to you about, but now we do it anyway, is um, that of course you need a way to communicate failures and success and maybe also metrics, performance measurements back to the developers so they're actually aware of things. Yes. So what kind of uh, tool support um, can you have to make people aware, to make them see what's actually happening? Um, yeah, so these are, are, are what I normally refer to as information radiators. You know, something mm -hmm. that's just lying around, letting people know. Uh, you know, common things that I've seen is kind of lava lamps, you know, within the project area space. You'll have a red one and a green one. Uh, as long as the green lava lamp's going, you know, it's fine. We've done it with uh, lightsabers. We had uh, <laughs> the one client we were working at, we were in two buildings, but we happened to be on the same floor. It was a split team. We happened to be on the same floor on each of the two buildings, and we could see each other through the windows. Yeah. And what we'd do is we'd have lights sabers in the window <laughs> and then basically you just be able to look out the window and you could see what color the other team's light the yeah. lightsaber was and you would know kind of where you were so yeah. it's kind of getting this information and uh, there's common tools like cc tray um, and things like that uh, where you could just have it running on your desktop and um, you know it'll just pop up you know little alerts when when the build fails yeah. there's there's big monitor screens that you can run there's various little apps that tap into this kind of information yeah. and just let everyone know this is the state of the build because yeah. one of the key things again is about developers when they want to check in they need to know is the build green can i check in mm -hmm. um if it's red don't check in because you're going to potentially make, make it worse make it make it worse <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um you know and, and and also if you notice it's being read for a long time you know someone's having a hard problem you can then go in there see what the change set is see who last checked in to make the problem and and you know for the tech leads on the projects and stuff like that it may be a chance for them to walk over to that developer and say you know hey do you need help with this problem mm. you know and, and again this is the collective ownership coming right. in yeah. you know everyone being care. concerned uh, yeah exactly and again yeah. it's not about blame it's not about you know oh you broke the build for the 10th yeah. time today yeah. it's you know that could be uh, you know a further 
you know indication of something else that that needs to happen right. to 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 bring it up yeah and in addition to the the big red green lamp i guess you might have some kind of web page that gives you an overview of the failed tests and some statistics about you know whatever yeah 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 so there's there's been a lot of movement lately in the continuous integration service space uh, i mean thoughtworks wrote the the first continuous integration server cruise control um, which kind of came out at the same time this was the 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 spike project that that Martin Fowler and Matt Femmel were working on that they actually first wrote the paper on was was you know the core code for cruise control came out of there, um, but these days you know even at ThoughtWorks we've realized in, you know hey cruise control came to a certain point but you know we've now got our own CI commercial rewrite from scratch CI server product out there and there's 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 loads from from different you know companies there's commercial ones there's open source ones and they're all really good and they're all homing in on this concept of you know getting this information feedback there's yep. you know some of them do really good graphs they'll start to train stuff over different builds you'll start tracking things like you know code coverage uh, performance test results um, you know all this kind of stuff number of unit tests you know build times and stuff yep. like that yep. and, and so you can start getting more information and so what you can do is you can start actually setting um, kind of more soft failure conditions mm -hmm. um, one of the the, the projects I did a couple of years ago, which is one of the first ones I, I got involved with doing this, uh, was running performance tests. Now, performance yeah. tests are, are kind of probably the only case where I'd say, yeah, schedule them to run overnight. Um, <laughs> you know, just pick the latest green build yeah. for the day and run them overnight. But yeah. what we were doing is we were actually, every night we were setting, you know, what the current latency was, what the throughput was, um, stuff like this. And what we would do is we would check and we would set a deviation. If it's now right. more than... 10% slower than it was yeah. last night. Tr trend analysis, right? Exactly, yeah. trend analysis. Yeah. You know, if the trends are starting to go the wrong way, yeah. break the build, fail yeah. the build, yeah. because you know, oh, it's only about a day's work yeah. that introduced something that's, you know, has a huge impact yeah. on performance. Yeah. I know the Eclipse guys are also doing this. <laughs> and uh, that's very, very, because it, yeah, it's a way to make performance degradation measurable as a criterion yes. for, for, for failing the build. Yeah, yes. that's very useful. Automating deployment is, of course, the last step in a build pipeline. You well, it's not the last step; it's the but last step. You yeah. do the automated deployment, and then you run the final tests. Um, any thoughts about that? Oh yes. So th this is one of my uh, my big ones that are that I really like that that I've been pushing hard for, and it's and it's become quite quite accepted recently. Um, is is the whole concept of you know. The, the, the way I describe this is is one of the very first clients I was at at ThoughtWorks. Um, we got there. The go live was was a big deal. What what would happen is they would um, they would start you know six o'clock on Saturday morning, really really early, and they would shut down their entire system. And what they would do is they would work through, and hopefully by Sunday lunchtime, they would be able to bring the system back up again with the new release of the yeah. code. Yeah. And there was huge amounts of stress, huge amounts of panic, huge amounts of management visibility. You know, paying close attention to what's going on, um, because they had this huge manual process of actually getting the code into place. Um, three months later, you know, we worked very closely with the with the ops team. We brought them in. We sat down with them, um, and and we helped them kind of write a deployment script that mm -hmm. would actually take the code from the CI server and actually push it into production. And what we did, we started further upline. We started pushing into the staging and the yep. testing environments yep. and stuff like this. And what happened is, you know, within three months, what we were doing is they were doing go lives on Friday lunchtime mm -hmm. with less than a second downtime. And they yep. were doing it while users were on the system. They would, you know, drop a new deployment and yep. go. Yep. So, I mean, by automating your deployment and by making your automated deployment part of your continuous integration um, ecosystem, is 
when you're doing your functional test, not only are you testing your application, but you're testing yeah. the mechanism that puts your application into production. Yeah. And by getting your operating system, your ops guys, um, involved in the process early, they get confidence in it as well. Right. So it's not only you getting and your project managers getting confidence in the quality of your code, it's now confidence from the operation guys that they're not going to get called at 2 o'clock in the morning because something's exploded. <laughs> you know, confidence in the actual deployment mechanism so that they quite happily just run the script, wish there it goes, no more problems. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's a very good recommendation to, you know, Always to get the ops team involved early are probably very good recommendations because oh yeah. usually they kind of scream at the end. Yeah, uh, exactly. You didn't tell us this. Okay, um, language evolution. Remember, we were talking about evolution. Um, we talked about practice evolution, and now we look at language evolution. Yep. So, build. Yeah. So, you know, ten years ago you talked about a build. What you're talking about was, you know, probably at best, you know, compiling and linking your code. Hooray, yeah. my code compiles, it links with all the libraries. Yeah. You know, that's it. Um, nowadays, generally, when we refer to a build, we, we, we're not just talking about those, those two stages, um, but we're also talking about, you know, running unit tests, running code analysis, creating the final deployment package, and even running the deployment. Yeah invoking the the deployment scripts from your from your build script and this is a uh, one thing where where some people get confused um is you know you have these build scripting languages like ant one of the, the i deal a lot with ant and i quite like ant um but you know i often see developers who try to take this a bit too far and they actually try and write their deployment mechanism in ant Ant's a language for for doing building scripts for compiling things mm -hmm. for managing dependencies and yep. stuff like that um you know it's not particularly wonderful at doing deployment but you know write your deployment script in something that makes sense and then just use ant to involve it, the yeah. deployment script sure. and use it because you know the operating system guys the ops guys when they're doing the deployments into production they you know They don't want to be running Ant. They want a shell script. So if yep. you're just invoking a shell script from your Ant, everyone's covered. Everyone's yep. happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, integration. Yeah. So um, you know, again, years ago, integration used to mean getting code from various team members working together, getting their code integrated together into one product. Nowadays, I'm often hearing the word integrate, meaning getting various projects working together, right. yep. getting various modules working together, and also getting our systems working with our third-party vendor systems. Yeah, you know, that's a pain sometimes. Yeah. And then again, testing, you know. Uh, testing's also evolved. It used to mean, you know, you know, maybe sitting testing my code in isolation before I, I, I checked it in. Um, or, you know, just testing that it compiles. Um, and generally, you know, you would find an attitude of, okay, take take this test code. Um, you know, well, take the code. It's compiled. It linked. Um Now it's up to the testers to test it. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of bringing this responsibility back yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Avoiding you know, the throwing over the wall problem. Exactly, exactly. It's all about teamwork. And it's, yeah. it's again, you know, testing is not just unit testing. It's also, you know, various levels of acceptance testing, integration testing, performance testing. There's, there's loads of different tests that you now need to run. Yeah. Um, I guess build and integration and continuous integration is one of these things that obviously um, rely heavily on tools. Yes. So I guess we, we should take a look at how the tool landscape evolved over time and what today's state of the art is, I guess. So for source control uh, versioning, what's uh, the, the state of the art there? Yeah, so, um, you know, source control systems, they, they, again, even as recently as four years ago, you know, loads of companies, I suppose even nowadays, are still using CVS. Yeah, sure. And the thing is, you know, CVS all being file-based and stuff like that, if, if you're running a, a, a 
your cruise uh, continuous integration server, you know, that's polling the, the SEM looking for changes. You know, CVS dies, CVS can't handle that. Yeah. Whereas the, the modern source control systems, you know, can all cope with this load. They're much easier at handling polling, handling, you know, has something changed, yeah. getting this information out. Yeah. And so, so, so these days, you know, all the good ones, can, they can cope with the load of being polled and looked for changes by the CI servers. So what is... Uh, what do you mean by today's system? Obviously, there is uh, a CVS's successor, Subversion. Yeah, so Subversion's so, so great at this. Um, but also, uh, you know, we're starting to use a lot of Mercurial internally at ThoughtWorks, mm -hmm. um, especially with, with our distributed Agile, with our distributed teams. Mercurial is wonderful for that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some, some teams on some projects using Git, uh, particularly for the Ruby projects, they seem to tend to like Git. Um, you know, and all these tools kind of handle it, but also some of the commercial ones that we're using in our clients. Perforce handles it very nicely. Um, you know, and so it's 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 states like that. You know, tho those are the players that that I think are, are handling it very nicely. So, so what is different in in tools like Mercurial and and maybe we should do an episode on that at some point and looking at those different systems. Um, can you give us a brief overview of what those systems? How how are they different from what Subversion does? I mean, why are they better? Maybe or aren't they? <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 all about how you use it. Um, I'm a very big fan of choosing the right tool for the right job. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you're right. Distributed source control management systems. That's an episode all in itself. There's lots of yep. lovely things you can do with it. But I mean, what what the key difference is, is, you know, with something like CVS, with Subversion, what you have is um, you'll have a central source code server and everyone checks in and pulls out from that. And that's the central source of truth. Um, whereas with the, dis with the distributed ones, you've got an entire repository copy sitting locally on your machine. Oh, mm -hmm. And then what you're doing is, you know, you do local check-ins, local check-ins, and, and as, as you work. And then what you do is... Um, you know, the way we work with Mercurials, we'll have a central Mercurial server, which is our central source of truth. No matter what you're using, you need to have a central one that's the boss. Sure, yeah. Um, and then what happens is we'll be developing locally, you know, making little commits locally. And then we, when we're happy for the CI server to pick up our changes or when we're happy for the rest of the team yeah. to pick up our changes, we push it. Kind of a two-stage two commit in some sense. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And that's great for spiking and right. stuff like that. Yes. You can spike it out in a little yep. branch yep. and, yep. oh, yep. no, it doesn't work or, or, or stuff like that. And yep. so... So that kind of really makes a difference. But what we have is um, Cruise, the UCI server. It's, I'm part of the development team, but the development team split. There's guys in Beijing. Uh, there are some guys in Bangalore. There's me in London. There's some yeah. guys in San Francisco. And, and so kind of particularly... You know, in in some of the the lesser developed countries, you know, bandwidth is a problem. There's not enough bandwidth. The line goes down, stuff like that. And so just being able to... Yeah to do the commits locally, to do the tests locally and stuff like that. And then yep. when the link comes up, yep. Yep. Hey, yep. hey, there we go. Okay. Um, the other thing is then, of course, all the kind of static analysis tools you can run as part of your build to give you more information about your code quality. That's something that has received quite a bit of attention over the last couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is something, this is probably the, the, the next area which is going to see loads more tools coming in and, yeah. and and which is really great I mean there's there's you know your test code coverage and and you know we're even getting project managers and program managers come to us you know and say you know I've got you know 40 projects under my control um, I want to know how well they're doing and one of the key metrics that they're asking us for is I want to see what the code coverage is across yeah. all the team all, 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 all the programs um, you know and stuff like this um, you know bugs you know Bug analysis, find bugs is one of my favorites for Java because it can, can pick up all these weird and wonderful little issues that, that, that we get. Um, and again, um, style, if you want to encourage 
um, developers to work together, um, you need to kind of have some agreement within the team on on style and how yep. you're going to to do it. And so things like check style and all the rest are great for enforcing you know common readability rules throughout your team. Um, again, looking at cyclomatic complexity, um, you know, failing the build if the, if you get code that's too complex coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, failing the build if your code coverage drops below a certain percent. Yeah. And stuff like this. And then also visualization. Being able to visualize, you know, what the trends are in my code. You know, where's it going? Where's my performance going? Where's yep. my, you know, coverage going? Be able to see yep. all this. And this is, you know, all the metric stuff. You know, tracking, you know, some of the, the, the issues around you know performance code coverage build times build times is a key one that, yeah. that people like right. to, to start track you know is, has my build suddenly gotten slower yep. you know especially in functional tests te tests that are starting to interact with the database if your build slows down all of a sudden and you haven't really made that many changes to your tests chances are some you know that's an early stage performance test you know flag that'll pop up and say yep. hey yep. there's something wrong in the performance yep. of your code yeah yeah um, okay, let's look at testing tools. Uh, I guess everybody knows uh, JUnit or whatever unit, NUnit, ZUnit, SUnit, whatever, uh, RUnit. Um, <laughs> so, um, any other um, things worth mentioning? And, and we'll probably, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly have an episode on test-driven development and testing tools at some point. Uh, but quick overview. Yeah, so um, testing, <coughs> the, the, the unit testing tools are now pretty well understood and covered and stuff <laughs> like that. But... Um, there's something that people are starting to, to talk about a lot, which is uh, there's a whole group of them collected together. Together, Martin Fowler calls them test doubles. I'm not sure if he coined the term or not, but um, <coughs> on his blicky, he's got a page about them. And that covers things like, you know, stubs and mocking where you kind of pretending to get information back or, or you kind of you want to have a look at the flow within one of your, your classes with one of your objects, seeing how they how they're actually working. Um, you know, and again, things like behavior-driven development, yep. you know, getting all this kind of information in, um, you know, running different types of kind of business-driven um, functional tests, you know, fit tests, uh, yep. Selenium tests, you know, driving <coughs> the web browsers. Uh, Jiao, uh on Monday, we launched a new product, um, kind of the, the, the first beta f of a product of ours called Twist, which is, again, about, you know, having a whole IDE for, for managing your your tests, mm -hmm. but having it in such a way that even the management people who kind of know what they want the system can do can go in there and kind of describe at a high level what they want their code to do, what they want the application to do. So there's mm -hmm. lots of kind of s testing tools coming up here, and there's lots of interesting work going on in our, in in this area. So again, this is probably one of the uh, the other ones that's that's kind of been there from from the beginning, yeah. but but it's still got loads to to give yeah. loads of value. It's interesting to see that uh, it's probably it's fair to say that if we want to increase or improve the state of the practice in software development, we should focus more on those. Well, not on not on inventing yet another programming language, yes. but rather on some of the, in some sense, peripheral issues like build, test, integration of domain experts and stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's you know, it doesn't matter how wonderful your code is, you know, how clean and complete and 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 stuff your language is, but if you know, if you can't test it, if you can't repeatably make sure that it's doing what it needs to do for a business to make money, it's you know, it's really an academic exercise yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. Finally, I guess um there is um the the tools that that, you know, pack all of this all all of the stuff we talked about together, the, the CI servers, and of course CI doesn't mean corporate identity, but rather <laughs> continuous integration. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and again, this is somewhere where I've been quite personally involved in in the past year or two, um, is, is in, in, in watching how this, 
the, the CI servers have taken off. You know, it used to be, you know, there was just cruise control and then Antil came along and then, you know, then there was some, you know, bit of continuum and all the rest and all these others. And then all of a sudden in the past two years, there's been this explosion. There's, you know, loads of different vendors out there. There's Bamboo, there's TeamCity, there's, you know, Hudson, there's commercial ones, there's open source ones, and they're all, all trying different areas. It's, you can see, you know, different people's approach to continuous integration yep. and what they want to get out of continuous integration. And it's great seeing this. You know, one of the, the, the key trends that are emerging out of this is, you know, in the old days, you used to have a build server and it was a big build server. Yep. And, and it used to be a very expensive machine. And, and you know, after a couple of years, this thing would, would you know, have issues coping with all your your projects, um, you know, and you'd have real trouble getting management buy-in to kind of upgrade the, the server because it used to be a really heavy spec machine. Yep. Um, nowadays, pretty much all the leading contenders in the, the CI server space all have this concept of agents. And, you know, so you now have not just one big server, but you have a build grid. So they'll mm -hmm. farm out the jobs to whatever machines out there. Yep. Um, yep. When I was, uh, you know, showing our product to uh, to one of the big media companies in the UK, uh, the guy I was showing it to turned back and said, wow, we now finally have a, have a use for all these overpowered m machines we're putting on <laughs> management desktops. <laughs> you know, They could make them agents in the background to be <laughs> running builds, to be yeah. running unit tests, to be yeah. running the code analysis. Built at home, right? Yeah, like exactly. Exactly. Having these big grids and it's it's wonderful. It's great use of resources yeah. um, mm -hmm. and, and stuff like this. And also kind of helps, um, particularly for product companies, um, it helps testing on multiple platforms because right. now what you can do is you can have a stage that's running tests on OS X, on Linux, on yep. you know Windows, uh, and various flavors of all of them. And you know, as long as all the jobs you know running in parallel, as long as they all pass, then the stage is complete. And you know, you've got exactly the same build that's passed on all the platforms. Yep. Yep. And so it's pulling all this. Um, you know, a lot of them are starting to put in personal builds. I, I personally, I'm not a huge fan of personal builds. I can see where they have some value, um, but personally, I think there's more value in kind of developer discipline in running local tests. Yeah, before they check in. But the whole concept is, um, instead of running your local tests on your local machine to see, can am I safe to check my code in? What you do is you then basically say run a personal build on the grid, and what it'll do is it'll take a diff of what's currently not checked in on your machine, submit it to the CI grid, and mm -hmm. it'll run in the full CI environment, mm -hmm. and then give you a, a yes or no, and then you can say, all right, okay, it passed, I'll check in, or no, it's failed. Um, you know, so on the flip side, it does have benefits. It means you know if if your build is a bit longer than the normal check-in cycle. You're still testing in the right environment um, before you check in, and so kind of keeping less impact on the rest of your team when you make changes yeah. um, and stuff like this. Um, so that, that that's that's pretty common these days. Um, pipelines. Um, there's one or two, you know, us in our cruise product, we're the only ones that really call it pipelines. But you know, there's there, there's similar things in some of the the other products. There's this they're, they're following. They don't use the same names. Um, I can't remember the names they use, but Pulse does something similar, um, Antil Pro does something similar, and um, <coughs> you know it's 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 great. Um, actually, I'm going straight from Jao to uh, to KitCon, the Continuous Integration mm -hmm. Testing Conference, as well, mm -hmm. where you know this is a, a time where all us guys kind of work on these various products, get to sit together and get to talk about our different yeah, products, sure. and yep. it's, yep. and yep. it's great because we it, it's really driving out this competition and, and, and we can start to see how other people are thinking and approaching this whole yep. continuous integration problem. I guess the, the next level of granularity in tools above the continuous integration server is then stuff like, for example, Jazz, which integrates ver version control, you know, reporting, team collaboration, change sets, environment replication and stuff with 
testing, building, deploying. So I mean, yeah, this is this 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 whole team enabling tooling. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah. The whole application lifecycle management yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is is you know lifecycle management thing, which which I've heard it called. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. M bringing all these bits and pieces in, in together and yeah. kind of bringing it all into one space where you can kind of get a general feel for for how everything's yeah, going. Yeah, and 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 express relationships between things so yes. that you know that a certain commit of a certain change set resulted in you know this and that subsequent problem yes. because if you don't know that it's obviously hard to trace things yes exactly and also tracing further back up the tree right. seeing which stories which business requirements right. actually yeah. drove those changes yeah. in the first place yeah. Yeah. okay this brings us to the end um anything else any pearls of wisdom as the space show guy likes to say uh, <laughs> that you want to leave with our listeners um <coughs> yeah probably the, the the biggest thing which i, I tell to all the clients where, where i go and, and try and implement this or where they come to us and they say you know can i have a ci health check can i see what we're doing mm -hmm. is is kind of be pragmatic about it as, as in all things these are these are guidelines these are principles you've got to choose the tools that fit most with your way of working and and, yep. and kind of fit with the benefits that, that you want and the pains that you're having and kind of you know it's it's not a silver bullet um you know I've, I've i've been doing this for quite a number of years now and it's it's not a silver bullet as as we said in the beginning it's it's not something that's totally isolated to the developers it's it's got to expand your whole development organization from the management right all the yeah. way down to yeah. to the ops guys looking after the production systems um you know unless everyone's kind of doing their part and pulling their weight it's 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 really going to be hard to put in and hard to implement and yeah. hard to look after and yeah. hard to see the value Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's important. If you don't see the value, people won't be willing to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Because it can be a painful process. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, Chris, thank you very much for being on the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for downloading and listening to Software Engineering Radio. Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website. Or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick, Reddit, Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net or, if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio as well as all other episodes are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle. <laughs> <laughs>